Hi everyone, welcome back to Love Essie, the podcast. Um, welcome back guys, uh, it's August, I can't believe it, time is flying, yet not flying, it's weird, it's crazy, unexpected, um, but yeah, it's August and this week I'm talking about the second book in the Guild Hunter series, Archangel's Kiss. Now, for those of you who've never read this series by Nalini Singh, the series operates a little bit differently from, I think, all of her other book series, like The Side Changeling and the Rock Hard and Love Hard, in that we are here in book two, and our main couple is Elena Devereaux and Raphael the Archangel. And you're like, wait what that's right the couple from book one is still the couple in book two haha now you might be like but i don't get it but how but why and here's the thing if you've read the first book when the first book ends there are a lot of questions there is a lot that is left unanswered and you enjoy it most definitely but you want more You're left wanting more. I'm trying to think, is it like a straight up, straight up cliffhanger? In some ways, yes. So, of course, book two, you're like, okay, now what? So, I feel like in that way, it's a bit different from other romance novel series. There are romance novel series where each book stands alone and you can read it and never read any other book. I feel like that's a little bit harder with Guilt Hunter. Could you just have read Angel's Blood and then never read another book again? I mean, of course. I mean, why would you? But you could. Um, But it's a little... It's a little bit different. And so this second book, I think, does something that we sometimes see in a series if you have a couple and then you maybe circle back to them many books later um you see some of this uh, and when you're like see some of this let's see some of what the kind of changes compromises and growth that happens as two people navigate what being together means what being together looks like right Oftentimes in romance novels, it's easy to be like, and then they fell in love, lived happily ever after. And we don't really talk about what that happily ever after looks like. We don't really get to see that or delve into that. I think that sometimes second chance romances or romance novels where it's a a marriage in trouble, you can kind of see some, but you're also meeting the couple when things have broken down and need to be fixed in this book we're not meeting elena and Raphael as things no we're seeing their transition from two people who have fallen in love to two people who are now like okay how do we navigate that especially considering that one is an archangel aka you know the amount of power that like homeboy has in one pinky is like what a homegirl you know, human. Also, if you read the first book, you know, this, the things kind of changed a little bit there at the end. <laughs> Something happened. Something happened. And I'm not going to go into it because if you haven't read the book and you don't want to be spoiled, I don't want to ruin it. But I'm just saying that there is a change. And you might be like, I wonder what that change is. You'll find out. You'll find out. I feel like the cover of this book kind of gives it away. If you haven't, like, read the first book, but then you read the second one and you see the cover, you're like, Oh, well. Oh, actually, no, this book, I'm looking at the cover now. No, not as much. Oh, I'm thinking of the cover of book three. Never mind, or whatever. Anyway, so this is a sort of different way, I think, of seeing, you know, a a romance series right we still have supporting characters we m- meet more supporting characters 
some of them are so fascinating that you're going to desperately want their books some of them have books already out some of them do not and we all continuously beg and plead for their books to be written and Nalini's like I'll think about it and I'll let you know and it's fine that's fine because honestly she could give us whatever she wants and I would be ecstatic ecstatic I would be full of joy joy because her writing is is so uh, it's so good it's so good uh again guys remember I'm a stan I'm biased but if you go and you read it you'll discover for yourself how good it is (laughs) just a thought um so yeah so this week this is what I'm talking about so one of the things because this romance novel is different right it's not a brand new couple in the in in this area it's the same couple but we're seeing um what that now means so in essence book one was maybe or what not maybe was really the courtship right the the you know i guess in today's terms the dating right the dating before you have like decided to be exclusive and yet you kind of were exclusive but maybe you didn't have a conversation all that jazz you know when you're just kind of like is this for real i think it's for real oh my god what's going on we're past that now you know everyone's like love 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 i love you you love me we love tree no i'm kidding um so what we get to see in the second book is what that looks like right when two people have to navigate what being together means, which means navigating the the baggage that each person has brought to the relationship, right? Means navigating, you know, maybe you thought you weren't a jealous person, but now you're realizing maybe it's more so that you didn't actually care about partners in previous relationships in the way that you care in this one or you know there is a huge discrepancy between elena and Raphael. he's a archangel who's been around for i don't think it's expressly stated but it's got to be at least a thousand years something ridiculous right because it's not like you're born an archangel either maybe that's a spoiler oh well um you're born an angel and then eventually you ascend in power to that level so he's been around for you know i don't know i think she's 29 at this point thousand years 29 oh boy oh boy so not only does he have millions of days of experience right i don't know if that's if it's you know what i mean but he also has a level of power that she can't possibly ever match right so how do you navigate that how do you navigate that right so you've got difference in power difference in life experience you've got new challenges due to that you've got new challenges due to change in circumstance these this is also two people who've more or less been alone have been single so now you got to figure out how to navigate being together right because when you're single you don't ever really stop to think about how like you have to check in with people or how your actions could both positively and negatively negatively impact you know your quote-unquote life partner because you don't got one but once you do you there is you know the stumbling blocks of that like oh wait like there are things that i'm asking for that they might be like not able to give or or you're asking for things and not understanding how it might come across so all of these things we get to see in the second book which i i personally really enjoyed and i don't think i realized that when i first read through i was just excited because there's so much action right um this series is propelled like at such a fast pace because so much is happening in the world there is very little 
very little time for pause, for rest. It's like one thing happens and then another that builds on another. So, so much is happening so quickly. So I think the first time I read it, I was like, whoa, whoa, this happened, then this happened. The second time around, I'm like, I'm catching the fact that like, everything is changing and happening in this world and Raphael and Elena have to figure out how to come together that also includes you know the fact that yes they were both single but they both have friends so how do you also then navigate that like what happens when your friends who are kind of looking at you like they're not good enough for you I don't like him and you're just kind of like so this is the person I want to be with the rest of my life and your friends looking at you like really though this one are you sure about that because i'm not feeling it you got to navigate all of that right you have to figure out how to go either through that objection or work around it because you know you know what's that saying you know sisters before misters bros before hoes you know you shouldn't be expected to just give up your friendships you know the people who are you know are your found family because you found this partner and things are you know full of friction but then you have to figure out how to navigate that friction what are the boundaries of this new relationship in relation to the relationships you've had and in Raphael's case relationships he's had for hundreds of years right so it's fascinating to see that play out on the page and sort of i was gonna be like a weird aside but not really i think it's really like i i want not want but i think it's really cool to read it um because obviously i don't live in a world where people you know there are angels and all that jazz but we can all sort of learn from like that sort of the struggle and the work that that takes and like look at how that happens in this book and then look at our you know own relationships in real life and be like okay are there instances where i'm being too hard on someone's partner where i am creating expectations that are impossible to me right right i'm i i know we've all had friends who've dated people that we have been like trash but here's the thing are they actually trash or are they trash to us based on our idea of what we believe our friend deserves right and if it's the second one how bright are we or are we wrong and then when we're wrong what steps do we take to then modify and change our behavior right because obviously the idea i'm thinking is you don't want to lose your friend but obviously if you are constantly bashing their significant other there's going to come a time when they you know will not put up with it and here's the other interesting thing if it takes them a while to say something to you what does that also say about their sort of boundary with you that they've allowed it to happen for so long. I mean, I could go on on that about that forever, right? So I think it's a really sort of interesting way of looking at that topic because I sometimes think that talking about and showing what happens after, you know, the grand gesture of I love you and however that happens is so much more important than getting to the I love you, but we don't I don't know that we always see it. Um, and so the fact that we get to see Elena being like, okay, these are the ways, these are the things that you can't do, Raphael, because if you do them, I can't be with you. Like, I can't trust that this is going to be an equitable relationship. And Raphael kind of be like, equitable? I mean, I'm an archangel. You, not so much. I mean, what kind of, you know, because, but then that also brings up the question, the difference between equality and equity, right? Because equality means being equal, which with that kind of a power differential, with that 
kind of an age gap. Uh, impossible. Impossible. But equity, right? Equity means, like, understanding that even though y'all can't be equal because, you know, it's a difference that you can still, like, here, you can still be fair. You can still, you know, treat each other in a way that doesn't demean, punch down, create an imbalance, right? Um, if Raphael was just looking for someone to, like, quote-unquote, lick his boots, right? Kiss the ground he walked on and, you know, be like, you are my god, my sun, my moon, my, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could have just, like, found, like, anybody? And Elena's like, yeah, so no, like, that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. And if you make me, try to make me into that person, A, I won't be the woman you fell in love with. B, I'll hate you. C, I'll probably die or kill you, kind of thing. Um, And so I think that that is really, really, really cool to see and really fascinating. Um, And it really then, for me, helped because I look back, right? Like I, like I, I mentioned la, um, when I, blah, ah, yeah. When I, like I mentioned when I first uh, did the first book, um, I came to Gil Hunter after Side Changeling, and I think I came to Gil Hunter after I'd read everything in Side Changeling. I was kind of like, really want to keep reading more Nalini, but there's no more Side Changeling. There's this whole Gil Hunter thing, and I was like, mm, vampires, angels, I don't know. But I was like, let me give it a shot because I, I've really liked everything else I've read by her so far. And then read that first book and was like, oh, uh, oh, okay, all right, all right. Gil Hunter fans, I see you. I see you. I see what you're talking about. This is fascinating. This is wonderful. And I think when I first picked up Gil Hunter, I want to say at least the first seven or eight books were already out so i also didn't have to wait um until i like blew through all of those and then it's like new once again i miss it oh yeah an entire yeah um so i got to like read a lot of them um which i think also was like really fun because kept up with the pace but that doesn't really allow for a lot of sort of the in-depth look um into it so i really do like this the way that this series is going in that elena and Raphael are the crux the core of this universe they are why we are here we are going to meet other people who are adjacent to them and as we meet these other people and as elena and Raphael's relationship grows we will get to see more and more and more of this world of this universe but right now the focus is on these two so i think of it like if this was like a movie or something like the camera's really tight on these two and as these two do stuff we start to see glimpses of what's around them and then eventually the camera starts to sort of pan out a little bit more and pan out a little bit more we start to see a little more of what's going on around them and then when we follow other couples we'll be like oh these details tie back into Raphael and Elena in these ways and vice versa these people tie into Raphael and Elena in these ways um another thing that i want to talk about in this non-spoiler part that i really really like absolutely love about this series elena has a best friend right who's the guilt um hunter's director um sarah pretty sure it's sarah now i'm like is it not sarah i'm like gonna go look it up because my brain was like haha you're not going to remember anything yeah sarah I was like, is it Sarah? Is it not Sarah? So anyway, Elena and Sarah's relationship, right? Like these are, they're basically blood sisters, right? You know, um, or I hope that a lot of you know um, or have in your life that one friend that like you literally are so close to that it's more like they're like their blood, like 
you mean, you know, sisters from another mother, her brothers from another mother, that kind of relationship. And that's what Elena and Sarah have. And I love that. I love that it is in the book. I love that we see it. It comes up. Um, we see what that means for Elena. Um, because sometimes I, okay. It's not that romance doesn't show friendships, um, and doesn't do a great job. Um, Kate Clay, Kate Claiborne's love lettering has a fantastic sort of, uh, friendship arc. Sorry, spoiler. That's not like fantastic and wonderful i mean fantastic in that it is a friendship that is both breaking down and possibly being reconstructed into something completely different and it is painful but it is done so so fucking well like so fucking well so it's not that romance doesn't have you know or doesn't showcase relationships that are not you know just romantic but there's something maybe it's because it's in this paranormal world right sarah is elena was one of elena's ties to humanity um and what that means in a way that i think is really important because sarah and you know by extension sarah's small family ground elena in that I mean, would she be absolutely shattered if her and Raphael didn't work out or something happened to him? I believe, yes. But she would also have someone who would be there to be like, I'm not letting you just go because of this. Um, and I loved that so, so, so much. Um, Sarah and uh, her husband, Deacon, have their own little novella. And it's so fucking cute. I fucking love it. Um, but yeah, I really, 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 really love their friendship. Right? Because they're also both equally, like, they're such strong women. And I love seeing that. I, I, I love it. So, so yeah. I'm going to pause here. And then I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to get, like, real, real spoilery about the book. Because, you know. That's, that's what I do. Um, so yeah, I pause here. You can take a bathroom break. I mean, you could have anyway, because <laughs> this isn't live. Uh, anyway, back in a few. All right, so now it's spoiler time for Archangel's Kiss. That's right, spoilers. So again, if you don't like it, eh, don't listen. Um, okay, so as I was mentioning earlier, really enjoyed um, rereading this book. Um, especially since it's been a really long time. And I honestly don't think that other than the first time I read the book that I had reread it. So it was kind of like a nice way to be like, go back and be like, oh, what? And as I was mentioning, Ray, we're, because our main couple is still Elena and Raphael, and it's not, um, a couple of someone else in the world, we get to then sort of see the way that these two navigate their sort of new relationship. Now, what I didn't obviously mention is the non-spoiler part is that, so after the end of the first book, right, Elena and Raphael fell, you know, basically towards New York City dying, um, but they didn't die. And not only did they not die, Elena spends a year in a coma and wakes up with wings that's right wings she an angel she an angel she got she got wings she's not an archangel right she she's an angel she has wings this comes about because when they fell uh Raphael was able to create ambrosia which i thought it was really cool that this was used in this way right because i feel like often when we've heard of ambrosia you know it's like the gift of it you know immortality or eternal life um obviously to do with gods and so in this case it's it's that when an uh, an archangel loves true he or she is able to create ambrosia so this is what happens and ambrosia um what we can gather from that is that ambrosia then can create angels because angels are not made right they're you know born and when you're like not made i mean <laughs> they're not made in like you know 
an angel and a human had sex and then an angel baby showed up or a half angel baby now nah, girl that does that no angels and humans can have sex and they're, they're sh- ooh. i don't think it ever talks about whether or not the human is ever impregnated i don't think so because we're what is what is made very clear is that angels and archangels obviously look like humans but with wings but are not human they are not human (laughs) not human (laughs) they are not human let me say that one more time they are not human right so one of the reasons is they've got a toxin in their body archangels and i think all angels no i think it's just archangels they have to you know release because if they let it get to toxic levels it makes them go crazy which is what the villain in the first book did and that toxin can be administered to humans to turn them into vampires but that toxin doesn't make anybody an angel just a vampire so it's really so all of a sudden we're just like well hold up so homegirl's an angel and that's something no one expected because no one not even the archangels that are currently alive and have been alive for at least you know a millennia can remember of an angel being made they could own you know obviously y'all make vampires all the time that's no biggie but an angel from a human oh no this is new this is what this woof and I think what's really interesting when you go forward in the series and you also then realize that there is huge flux and change happening in the world um, that has nothing specific to do with this couple, but just like the world in general. It also makes me question like maybe there is like maybe the only time angels can be possibly made with the help of Ambrosia and true love is during these specific moments in time when this this massive flux is happening and this flux doesn't happen all the time right so elena wakes up she's got wings she's an angel she's been in a coma for an entire year which is terrifying right like to have lost an entire year of your life right her her best friend has a baby daughter who's now a year and a half like when you went into this coma this kid was six months old and i was like 18 months (laughs) like it's almost two and you're like hold up skirt skirt what um so there's there's all of the sort of human shit that elena has to deal with right the fact that so much time has passed she's obviously you know no longer human and what does that mean um there is a moment where Raphael sort of brings up the fact that like you know she will see those who she loves who are human pass because she is an immortal now she's a baby immortal so she can still be you know easily killed um if you you know behead her and all this gruesome shit but assuming that that doesn't happen she will outlive everyone she will outlive sarah she will outlive deacon she will outlive their daughter but he also mentioned that she would also be around to watch over sarah and deacon's daughter and any other children that they have and then those children's children um which is fascinating right so elena is grappling with being in love with an archangel all the power that all the shit that that entails now being an angel and all of the things that are changing about her life the fact that there are things she will never be able to share with her few human found family because to share that information would be to consign those people to death because there are certain things that angels and archangels are like we they don't know and they cannot know and so we start to see more of the complexity of the world we start to see how much grayer it is um and what so many of these things mean right we have you know the the cadre i don't know whatever i'm always going to call them cadre um and all of their craziness and how awful that they are 
and yet there are so many varied reasons for that level of awfulness um so it's a really really interesting book now as i mentioned angels can make other angels with other angels (laughs) you're like say what say that again angels can have babies with other angels making new angel babies so there are angel babies that's right and what's really really fascinating about that is there's a place on this planet where this happens but like no human has any knowledge of it um cannot have any knowledge of it the place is called the refuge and each archangel has their sort of territory within the refuge um but they are you know that is where angel young are born grow up um into in you know adults who can then be in the rest of the world um working with whichever you know archangel they are going to work with which i think is part of that is you know if you were born in the territory of said archangels if you're born in um, north america you're probably going to end up working or actually wait no because you aren't born in the territory because you're born at the refuge but within the refuge it's all divvied up so if your parents essentially work on some level or within Raphael's borders within the refuge then do you grow up to be an angel who works for Raphael on some level hmm I think so but I'm not sure and are you able to wait you are able to go to other people's to other archangels courts essentially um either to work or yeah that that does happen because we'll see some of that in later books with the secondary characters who get books um so we also meet the last remaining member of Raphael seven and Raphael seven are these seven um men who have aligned themselves with Raphael. They are like literally like his core guard. They will defend him and his territory to the death. But these are not just men who are like, I just follow Raphael blindly. They are intelligent. They will push back when they think he is being unreasonable or making a mistake um, and all of that. And so we, 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 by the end of this book, have met all of them. Um, and that is, there's Dimitri, who's sort of at the head of this group of seven. There's Ilium, there's Venom, Nasir, um, Ald, I always say Aldan, but I don't know if that's how you say his name. Um, Galen, and that's six, so I'm missing one. Who am I missing? I said Ilium. I don't know who I'm missing. It'll come to me. <laughs> I'm like, someone's going to be like Esther. Um, but yeah, so we we meet all of these, you know, members of his, you know, core group. Unless Raphael is the seventh. Oh, me. Is he? I mean, that would make sense. Hmm. Anyway. So we meet all of them, sorry, um, for the additional noise. And we also, you know, get to meet more of the cadre because we'd met Mikaela in the first book, right? Because she had been with Urim, the, 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 the crazy. Um, but we also meet and we have already seen Li Huan and um, talked with her and we we get really um a very interesting glimpse into her which i feel like really foretells like how all like how she's really gonna become um but we also meet favashi and neha and titus and astad and elijah and it's really interesting because um we learn in this book right 
Raphael and Elena aren't the only couple, right? Or he's not the only archangel with a partner. Elijah has a long-term partner, Hannah. Um, usually the partner to an archangel is called the, their consort. Um, and Hannah and Elijah's relationship, I feel like, is probably the most normal slash healthy of a relationship at the archangel level um because it does it we every time we are shown this couple they it is shown that there is care that there is love that there is you know a partnership whereas the other quote-unquote long-term partnerships that are either mentioned or shown there is huge imbalances or there's just it's clear that they are you know basically toxic Mikael and Urim were toxic they were crap I forgot one member of the contract Kari Semnam um something about his name annoyed me when I first read it and then he turns out to be awful so I was like oh okay um uh but yeah like Mikael and Urim were toxic as fuck and then you know homeboy went cray cray um Neha apparently has a partner but Raphael realizes in this book he hasn't seen the man in 300 years and she says he he lives what what who talks about their partner being like he lives girl okay I mean sure now it is here's a thought right it is possible that Neha speaks of him like that and shields him like that because she doesn't ever want anyone else to use him as a way to get to her right because what we also find out in this book is that Raphael's parents were both archangels which is like what because archangels have such an immense level of power within them they cannot even reside next to each other for long periods of time so for two archangels to not only fall in love but have a son is like oh history right history in the making things people didn't expect of course there's also much much darkness in that in that Raphael's mother has to end Raphael's father because he truly believed himself a god and gets to a point where like Urim he needed to be executed for the greater good yeah yeah what's that like your mom killed your dad to save the world. Wait, it gets better. When you saw your mom losing her mind, you tried to stop her. She almost killed you. And you're like, what? Yeah. So we, this book also, I think, is really fascinating in that we really start to see and are shown the trauma that both Elena and Raphael have. Because we are given glimpses of it in the first book but the details start to really come about or come out in this book right the fact that elena was hunter born and which means she is born with the ability to be able to hunt vampires because she can smell them she can take their smell and break it down to the combination of smells so when she smells vampires it's like this vampire smells like sunshine paint and you know raindrops excuse me i mean that's fantastic when you need to hunt them down think about that think about that but we also find out that her her ability right drew a deranged um vampire to her family and this vampire ends up being the reason why her mother and her two sisters her two older sisters are gone helena has one younger sister and we will find out in other books even younger half sisters but her two older sisters and her mom are gone and we we so we get to learn about her trauma from her point of view we also though start to see glimpses of her father that are almost completely contradictory to everything we've seen about that man up until now in that first book her father i was like so when does this motherfucker die but as we go on this journey with elena and raphael and as we learn more 
we're going to see so much more about her father and her mother that when I look back, I'm like, duh. But when I first read it, I was like, bitch, what? Like, I'm pretty sure, like, I screamed at times reading, being like, oh, my mother. Ah. Um, so we learn, right, about the trauma that Elena's gone through. We learn about the trauma that Raphael has gone through. And even then, in this book, we're still... We're not quite surface level, but we haven't really gone into the depths of what all of this means. Um, which, of course, as a reader, I think is so fantastic. Because then that means, okay, the next book, and then the next book, and then the book after that. Like, just, you know, keep giving us more and more and more. And by not giving us so much information at the very first book, right? then we can see because I think in that very first book both us as the reader and Elena and Raphael as a couple fall in love but in a way because so much is happening because everything is so crazy it isn't one of those I knew you all my life and I know everything about you and now I'm in love with you it's like I don't know you you don't know me we are so different and we're literally poles apart but we love each other okay now how do we figure shit out together and i think it has done really really well seeing them navigate and negotiate right what are the things that they're going to be okay with what are the things that are going to be sort of a hard stop a hard no like these are things you cannot do or else what this relationship currently stands at will be broken and will not be fixed. And even if it is fixed, it could never go back to that, right? So we see all of that in this second book, um, which I was like, and then we also start to see the complexities in some of the secondary characters, right? We're realizing that Jason, that was the one I forgot. I knew I forgot someone. Um, Jason, who is essentially Raphael's spy master, they're immediately, both in the way Jason is and everything, we know that there is a story there. It's like screaming at us. We know that there's a story behind Ilium. We know that there's a story behind Dimitri. At first, Venom's story just seems about his making because of how Venom is. The same thing with Nasir. I feel like in later books, we'll learn so much more about both of them that we'll be like, whoa, what else is there? I feel like the only person who in this book we don't immediately, or at least I didn't immediately wonder what his backstory was, was Galen. Um, You know, the, the... weapons master you know sort of head of you know troops i guess top general or you know i I don't know how that works but um and he does have a novella um that really sort of explains but I, i never felt at least in this first book that there was more about him that needed to be uncovered so when you i did uncover it in the novella i was like oh my god um and hold on oh my god an angel who like his wings literally sparkle basically like diamonds and it's fascinating so we are a little bit deeper into the world we're a little bit deeper into um rafael and elena's relationship but we aren't we aren't all the way in there's still so much more to learn and that, I think, is something that is so impressive about the books because you end it and you're like, okay, well, what next? And not just what next in the way that you're thinking. It's just there's, we've been given a taste, right? Or if I go back to the sort of that, like, 
camera analogy, we we've widened sort of our the the view a little bit, but but there's still so much that's in the shadows. There's still so much that's not in within the 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 focus of the vignette, right? Um, and the epilogue, right? The epilogue is fascinating because you know, on one hand. And here's the thing, in both books, we've seen, like, something's happened to Elena, and Raphael's kind of like, I will not lose her, and he doesn't. But this epilogue isn't really about Elena's, like, you know, getting better, right? The epilogue is actually about Lee Kwan and, you know, what she may become or what she is becoming um and i always thought it's really interesting because Li Huan talks a lot of, says many times how she likes Raphael, how had she met him when she was younger um you know what that might have been like which i think is really interesting because i don't think she's saying and like i wish you know like she doesn't obviously want or plan to steal him away from elena that's Mikaela who's like um you should be with me and he's like so i got i got my consort and she's like human turned angel boo look at me and he's just like yeah no you're boring and she's just like bitch it's not that it's this like It's weird, not weird. It's interesting to me in that Li Huan, I I wonder if Li Huan, when she looks at Raphael and the choices that he makes and the decisions that he you know you know ha- makes and the way that he is both as an archangel and with his people, if she thinks to herself, what could I have been like or what would I have been like if I'd had someone like him in my life, right? I feel that's sort of what i get from it um because you know there's this this battle at the end of the ball because homegirls bringing people back from the dead which is really creepy really gross um and i'm gonna read this part she goes i've killed the last of my reborn her form solidified until it appeared almost normal sometimes i have need of the flesh why tell me he asks they are your weakness I like you, Raphael. A smile that froze the water in the pond, her visage framed in frost. And your hunter, yes, she intrigues me still. He met those eyes that were beyond immortal and wondered at the truth. Did you need to die to evolve? Ask me that question when we next meet. Perhaps I will answer. And there's something. And it continues, and she says again, we'll speak again. I do so like you, Raphael. And there's something about that. Because it isn't a, you know, want to get in your pants like you. It's like... And I also don't think that she's just amused by him. But one of the things that she stated when we first met her in the first book is that... She met a mortal who, like Elena, you know, touched her and could have made her a little more mortal. But she killed him because she saw in that, to her, a loss of power, a loss of, you know, rank. I don't even think rank because it's not like you fall in love with homeboy and then, you know, you fall out of the cadre or you stop being an archangel. But I don't think she ever thought this potential weakness, having a consort who is human, who can then, you know, be her. She, I don't think she ever saw that as, ever saw the positives in that. She just saw this relationship could weaken me. And maybe she was even thinking could weaken me and that I'll fall in love with him and I'll have to watch him die. And I will not be able to live with that. Or I'll try to make him into a vampire and I can't. But regardless of it, she got rid of him. And she told Raphael this and essentially being like, you also need to get rid of homegirl. But that's not what Raphael did. He made the complete opposite choice. 
he chose to not only not get rid of Elena, but to be with her, to save her and be with her. So I almost wonder if for Li Juan, seeing Raphael and Elena is being able to see into the future she could have had had she not gotten rid of this man, right? And I think that's a really interesting concept because when we make choices and we make decisions, right, we don't often, if ever, get to see what our lives could have been like had we made a the other choice, a different choice, right? We don't get to see what would have happened if we didn't move to this city or if we didn't move countries or if we didn't or if we did, you know marry that man or that woman or that person or if we had children or didn't have children we get to live the life based on the decisions we've made but it's very rare that we can see someone have the exact same decision as us before them have them make the opposite choice of what we made and then see how that plays out so i think all so much of that is why she likes Raphael and I it also makes me think that on some level she does wonder who she could have been she had had either that man or a man like Raphael in her life could she be the Lee Kwan we now know in this book or could she have been more or could she have been less we don't know right and she doesn't know, but I think in some way she's like, but I can, I can extrapolate from what I'm saying. Um, so I, I really, really, really enjoyed this book. Um, and I also enjoyed it because Raphael also realizes that like the woman he fell in love with is a woman who will continue to be a warrior. She cannot become a pampered little, you know thing in his in his world because that is not who she is um i also think that the two of them get to give to each other something that they've not necessarily searched for and i don't even think that until this relationship they were aware was missing but a place of belonging and acceptance that they have not had Raphael's case he does not have parents in that are you know around and Elena's case she has a father but he has you know repudiated her he has literally thrown her out of his house when she was a teen and has literally nothing to do with her um so I think early in the book in this book Raphael gives her hoop hoops um of amber or entwined with amber because amber is the symbol that someone is not single that someone is entangled with someone that someone is in a relationship and then she gets him something um and i i also want to read this because um i thought it was really really interesting i really like that both of them are like i'm hella possessive and the other one's like me too and i was like yay you're both on the same page about being possessive it's not like one person's like i'm hella possessive and the other person's like well i'm not and now what do we do it's like they're both like nah 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 another person and i will you know (laughs) i think elena's like i will kill her and he's all like i will i will ruin the world (laughs) and i'm just like damn okay calm down um but she basically says i have a gift for you right and i'm gonna read it coming to stand before him she opened the small box to retrieve a ring a ring set with amber you she said sliding the ring onto the appropriate finger of his left hand are well and truly entangled some of you may laugh at that part just because of what happened with august alcina and um jada pinkett smith um i also did a little laugh there if you don't know what that means that reference is okay don't worry about it i mean you can go look it up now i continue with the book his heart tight in a way that he had no experience with he brought the ring up to his eyes the band was platinum thick and solid the amber a square polished chunk 
but it was dark, the darkest amber he'd ever seen, with a heart of pure white fire. Intrigued, he slid off the ring to bring it up to the light. The colors changed constantly, now dark, now light. It was then that he saw it, the inscription on the inside, which I cannot pronounce, so I'm going to spell it out. K-N-H-E-B-E-K. I don't know if it's Hebek, Kebek, Nehebek. I don't know. But when I read that, one of my first thoughts was, like Elena, Raphael has not had one person who is, you know, completely, utterly his, right? He has his seven. He has his, you know, and they are loyal to him. And she has her found family and they are loyal to her. But together with each other, they're able to be open and vulnerable about everything. And by choosing each other, they get to sort of, you know, say or feel like we are in this together um and he hasn't had that i mean yes he's you know so so much older than her but he also hasn't so the the other really cool thing is is that this sort of permanent committed relationship that they're both entering into is new for both of them which i was like oh my god i love it i love it so much um and i think that to bring it to like life or whatever um it's easy sometimes to think that other people um have had these experiences and you haven't or whatever but that's not necessarily the case right so many people can go through life having really close friends and whatnot but maybe not ever having a deeply committed relationship like we're we're being shown in this book so yeah i really reading this one again i was like oh i like this and what's really interesting because in the first book i was like Raphael is wow more more asshole than alpha almost in that first book but already in this second book, you can see how loving Elena and wanting to be the man that she needs is changing him and those around him. And then I think what's also interesting is the ripple effect of like when one person falls in love and is working on creating you know a really sort of beautiful relationship with that other person the ripple effects of those two people falling in love the joy that they feel the groundedness that they feel and how that ripples out into their relationships with everyone else in their life, the way they see things, the way they approach things. Just, I really, really, really enjoyed. All right. Um, I don't think I have any more thoughts, so I feel like I'm going to end it here. Um, not sure what next week will be. I don't think it'll be book three. I think I'll do... Ooh, I was thinking about talking about, like, some Harlequins because, like, you know, to bring it back to, like, what romance was for me when I first really started reading it I think that's what I'm gonna do I don't not like necessarily saying like old school Harlequin but you know Harlequin I think I'm not sure possibly I mean tune in next week and you'll find out right 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 um if you really enjoyed the podcast kind of enjoyed the podcast sort of enjoyed the podcast did not hate the podcast um (laughs) please rate and review wherever you listened. Um, would love to hear from you guys. Um, oh shit. Ah, I totally forgot. Okay. So Lucy Eden, who is 
absolutely phenomenal has a newsletter that honestly is a magazine it's literally a magazine it is beautiful it is gorgeous and it's stunning she puts it together every month and i'm just like agog agog at how wonderful it is well i got to be in it so there's just a blurb about me on the podcast and then i recommended three books if you're wondering of course it's there's a Talia Hibbert book and a Lainey Singh book and uh, okay, actually a Brandy Bush book. And if you're like, Brandy Bush, who is that? Who is she? Well, that is um, Katrina Jackson's pen name. I just realized I did this all in the spoiler section. Yeah, but I'll put in the show notes like where the spoiler part ends. So it's fine. Um, uh, but yeah those were the three I recommended. You should definitely check it out to see all the other uh, book recommendations by um, other podcasts. August 5th, there is an anthology that comes out about One Bed, and Lucy Eden has um, a story in that. Um, So I think for the anthology, you just needed to have, like, the premise is there's one bed, which I love as a trope. I love this idea of, like, two people having to, like, you know, deal with their feelings and all this shit while only having one spot to sleep in. Ugh, love it. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, Lucy Eden's July newsletter is out. I'm in it. I'm hella excited. You need to like go check it out. Um, just go to either my Twitter or my Instagram. The link is in the bio. Um, and I literally, it's literally the first link when you click on Linktree. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty sure. This is pretty much it for this week. Enjoy August. Uh God only knows what it's going to bring us. Hopefully, you know, nothing too too crazy. Maybe just some aliens. Maybe not. Who knows. Um and I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. All right. Bye. <laughs>